This is the Beard Winner Podcast, Episode 2. And thank you so much for tuning in to our very second episode of the Beard Winner Podcast. This is going to be what the format is hopefully going to look like for the most part, besides the episodes where I do not have the ability to have an amazing guest on the show. And today's amazing guest is a friend that I've known since 2014. Her name is Elise Bender. Hey, Bender, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. Hey, it's my pleasure to have you on. I mean, it's not very often that you get to start a podcast and have a friend that you've known since 2014. So, Let's rewind the clock just a little bit and figure out how we came to meet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, we met back, uh, like you said, in 2014, early February, um, when we were in a photography workshop kind of meetup type uh, situation there on the Oregon coast. So it, it was definitely a fun adventure. I mean, that was a different workshop than most people are accustomed to. And I think you described it really well that it was more of a meetup. We went ahead and all had the same ideas in mind that we wanted to ramp up our photography. And that's really what stood out with you is that beyond the fact that you were quiet at first um, on the beach shooting some really cool shots by Thor as well, I noticed that you really wanted to improve your photography out the gate. Yeah, I mean, that was really, I had just gotten out of the military and um, was really looking forward to ramping up my photography um, overall. And so that was a great kind of out of the gate. And I met so many wonderful people, you and your dad. It was just awesome. So, yeah, that was good times. And there's also just the ability to have friends like you and, and other friends that we've met forever, like a shout out to Mark Franks, John Sharp, and the plenty of other folks that went out to that adventure. Honestly, to be able to call those people lifelong friends is amazing. And one thing that I noticed was that your detail when we sat down on a rainy day to do portfolio reviews was something that stood out. And for any of you who are listening, please do us a favor and just go over to abenderphotography.com or hop on Facebook and search for Abender Photography. This is really what made her stand out besides her really cool personality, her service to our country, is her attention to detail. She's very minimalist when it comes to her style and her editing. And there's no right or wrong editing style out there. But if you take a look at some of her images, the high key that she uses for her wildlife where she is able to manage your white space with your negative space, I knew that very first week sitting in a room with you that we had a true artist among us. I was going to say that really that really kicked me off when I got the feedback from that group on, on some of my images when they asked me if I put a puffin in a studio and my answer is no and you just kind of go, ah. Yeah. So, um, I, that trip was, has great meaning to me, not only, um, personally, but also for my career and meeting so many amazing folks. So yeah, that was good times. That was definitely good times. So, and you've grown so much since then. I mean, you've built a business. I've been fortunate enough to keep in contact with you over the year when my dad and I made a jaunt out to Colorado we met up with you, I believe it was yes. in Grand Junction. To yes, talk about it was. That. Yeah. My one day in Grand Junction because I was over there uh, looking at at a van um, to start to start my jump off to go full time. So, you know, away from the Oregon coast, I went uh, semi-pro and, and built up for those several years. Um, and then 
life took me to the point where I needed to jump off. So I was over in Grand Junction looking at a, at a RV van um, at that time when I met up with you all. And that was, that was such a great surprise to run into you all. And just this random out of this, uh, you know, neither of us live there or anywhere close to there. And so, yeah, no, that was really great. No, and we could feel that ex- excitement and energy in there. And I, I know that you're based out of Las Vegas. That's where your office is currently. Yes. yes. And what yeah. what were really some challenges to leap off into going professional? And then also with the van idea, like what are some, I guess, cautionary tales or some advice that you'd give someone, no matter how candid it is, um, just if, if they're looking to do that? So what really brought about the the change for me to go full time and kind of jump into the deep end with that was that uh, my husband who's still in the service uh, was going to a place that I could not go. And we had been living in Japan, but because of his new, new uh, move, um, I was not allowed to stay in Japan, but they couldn't tell us where we were going to live in the States once he got done with that tour. So I was essentially left homeless. Um, and so I decided me and my dogs, we were going to go ahead, get a RV or a van and try out that life. And I was going to take my photography full time at that, at that point and see if I could make it work. So that was really kind of, I don't know if it was a jump off or a push off <laughs> into the deep end for that. Um, but I absolutely, I absolutely loved the van life. Um, I'm a tumbleweed by nature, I guess, anyways. So uh, while a smaller van, like the one I was looking at in Grand Junction, um, did not work out, I ended up going with a 25-foot RV, motorhome RV. Okay. Um, something you see like uh, the Cruise America RVs that you see all around, especially the Western part of the U.S. I've uh, seen plenty of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most people have. The, you, you can hardly miss them on the road with all their decals on them. But they, I got a used one of those. So they sell off the ones when they hit a certain mileage or certain. Um, so I bought one of those used. So um, overall, it was a great deal, I thought. Um, downside is with something that large at 25 feet, there are certain areas, certain parks, and obviously you can't take it off roading very well <laughs> to get to some of the back, back uh, locations. And then I also had to work around having dogs with me because a lot of the national parks don't allow for dogs on trails. You can't, you know, leave your dog unattended or you shouldn't, depending on the temperatures. And I was traveling the Southwest. So, you know, if it gets 70 degrees, I don't really want to be leaving my dogs in the vehicle for any length of time by themselves. So they have to go on the hikes with me. So it, it was a double-edged sword in that I couldn't do what I originally planned, but it forced me off the beaten path to explore a lot of smaller parks, state and regional parks, and some really great um, BLM type lands that uh, I just, I absolutely love the Southwest and yeah, I'm, I'm missing tr- the travel right now with all these restrictions. So in speaking of that with us being in the midst of COVID, could you actually hypothetically do that right now? Or would you have to pump the brakes, get the van and then start actually planning it out? So right, if it was right now today, mm-hmm. you could potentially start doing it because there are enough locations that have opened up. I don't know if I would necessarily suggest it depending on 
the age and health and what your risk factors are with this, with COVID. Um, but it is an easy way to social distance for the most part. I mean, I was solo 90 plus percent of the time other than my dogs. So it, it was really great. You basically just encountering gas stations and the occasional shopping trip, but you don't have to eat at restaurants when you have an RV like that, because I had a stove, I had a refrigerator and freezer, so I could easily, you know, make one trip a week, very similar to what I do in my house now. So it would be doable. You are under more restrictions now, just because not everywhere is opened up. Um, so it, it would be tougher but it would be doable if you were to start it right now. Okay. Um, and what type I would of... Su- I would suggest something smaller than the 25, though, for at least if you're going for photography. No, and that actually was my next question was, what made you decide, or and if you, hindsight being 2020, besides having the 25-foot, what would be a perfect medium so you could have the amenities, but also not be so restricted on roads and national parks and things along those lines? So there's... I would think of it as two ways, either going with a van, a conversion van, um, whether it's one of the, you know, road trippers, uh, you know, the old high top vans that have been converted and, and have a lot of space or the, the VW has the West Venas and, um, you know, doing something like that. Or you could go with something like the 25 foot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you have more livable space. Cause it was nice that I didn't have to, you know, break down my office every day in order to go to bed, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but then you get a smaller, whether it's a dirt bike or a small Jeep, a small car, something like that, that you can tow behind it. Cause it does have towing capacity, um, for a light, light, small vehicle. Um, and I saw plenty of people who had just, you know, on their trailer hitch, they had a little platform and they were able to pull a, a small uh, dirt bike type uh, motorcycle onto the back of it, which that would also work in a lot of areas, too, if you're open to that sort of travel, um, especially in the desert southwest, you're not worrying too much about rain or things like that. So that would work as well. But um, overall, I would probably go to doing something smaller. Right on. And for those who are less brave than you um, and wanted to maybe dip their toes in the water, have you? did you even explore the option of renting any of these long term or was that even, did that even go, come across your radar? I looked at it, but um, because I was looking at doing this for about 10 months, it just to rent, it was just way too expensive. Um, if I was looking to do kind of dip my toes in it, as you say, I would really look at maybe doing a smaller camper if you have a vehicle already that has tow behind capabilities and doing a small tow behind trailer and doing it that way. That would also be another way I would look at doing it even full time at this point is doing the tow behind and then having the vehicle that can tow be my daily driver, if you will, my Explorer vehicle. Um, and then my livables, the tow behind. And I know quite a few photographers um, who do it that way. Okay. And what type of investment is someone looking at just ballpark to start either from the smaller side to more the larger side, like just to be realistic? Smaller side, you're looking, and again, it's based on comfort um, as to how old you're willing to go and what work you're willing to put into it. Um, But I would say an easy ballpark figure, 
medium, you're looking at 20,000 um, for something that's not, doesn't need a, a whole lot of work, if any. Um, and that could be either kind of a newer, smaller size or an older, larger size one um, is what you're kind of looking at is about 20K. And that would get you something that's comfortable, able to get out on the road right away. Mm -hmm. um, it might not be one of these adventure monsters with all the bells and whistles and but um, definitely get you started. Nice. So. And so if you can get rid of some of those creature comforts that you have become accustomed to, you can definitely do it for a little bit less. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, new vehicles nowadays are costing over 20000 you know, so it's it's doable if you're wanting to live that lifestyle. Okay. And we've been talking at length prior to this recording, and I know you're stuck in California. So to change gears a little bit, <laughs> what have you been doing to stay creative and productive? Um, well, I spent a month shooting pretty much only macro. Okay. When I first went into... Uh, into this shelter in place lockdown um, and just trying to be as creative as possible using just the macro lens, the Tamron 90 uh, millimeter macro, um, which was one of my newer acquisitions um, that uh, Tamron sent me when I got my ambassadorship. So um, I absolutely love the lens and I loved the, the month that I spent with it. I got a little bit burned out towards the end um, just because I had walked the same path so many times, <laughs> you know, at a certain point, it does become um, hard to find new ways to look at things uh, day in, day out. So, um, but I absolutely love that. And I have gone back to that sense. But um, now that restrictions have lifted slightly, so I'm able to drive locally for shooting for outdoor recreation. Um, I've started a new project that I'm looking to continue through summer, um, photographing and, and documenting the daily life of black oyster catchers, which is a um, somewhat common throughout the Pacific coast, especially up in Alaska, where 50% of the popu global population lives. But they're globally, it's a rare species um, with only about 11 to 12,000 individuals in total. Nice. So um, we have a couple, we, we have a good size population here in, in Monterey and um, I found a nesting pair, a mated pair. And so I'm following. Very cool. So with that, um, being something that stood out to me was that you're a brand ambassador for Tamron. How did that come yes. to be? And that's something that's super exciting because personally I hold Tamron near and dear to my heart and this is unbiased. Maybe it's biased because it's all I have as far as third party lenses, <laughs> but they're my favorite. So what, what's that like and how did this come into fruition? So um, all I can say is that it it was really lucky. Um, I, I don't know if it was so much that they got tired of me pinging them on, you know, tagging them in every image since that's all I shoot with. Um, even become, before becoming a Tamron ambassador, I pretty much only had Tamron my at this point, I had four lenses in my bag. At this point, I have three lenses from 10 to 600 millimeters, all of them Tamron. Beautiful. To cover that range. Yeah. So, um, but uh, I had gotten in with my local camera store, BNC Camera in Las Vegas. I had done some classes for them. Their Tamron rep saw me, met me. We got to talking. He passed my name up to up further and... Um, I got published in their summer 
um, magazine uh, last year. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then last fall, they approached me about potentially becoming a Tamron rep. And then this March, they made it official um, after WPPI that um, they brought me on board as their as one of their Tamron pro ambassadors. So did you hear all of us cheering around the U.S., all of your friends and fans? Did you? <laughs> <laughs> I felt the love. I did. I did. Um, it's an absolutely incredible honor. Um, and like I said, I mean, I've been shooting them for shooting with their lenses for, uh, almost a decade now. And I, I love the product and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have taken it just to take it. Um, if I didn't believe in the product, um, and it's just a really great company, um, to be represented. Oh yeah. And, and it makes a lot much more of a difference when it's a brand that you can stand behind one that you love. And that's kind of the point of any affiliates and whatnot that come with this podcast or that is stuff that I stand by and stuff that I use and stuff that I'd recommend to friends and family. So I was truly excited to see something that I use personally and have grown to love something that my friend is using and promoting. Yeah, no, I, I, like I said, I, it's, it's a real honor and, um, it, I feel like it was, Yes, it was luck, but it's also I just love the brand. I love the product, and um, I hope that by by being an ambassador, I can really help showcase what they do and and their glass and how good it is. Oh yeah, see the true potential. I mean, I remember walking around China 2015. Just so you guys know, I was not there before went during COVID time, but in 2015, <laughs> I, I have you used the uh, six or the 15 to 30 their wide angle lens before. I have their 10 to 24, so. And does that one have image stabilization in it or? It does. See, and, and that's that's the key is that a lot of lens manufacturers out there from the big guys, they don't put that image stabilization in there and being able to just cheat that shutter speed and have that image stabilization for those extra stops, it's a lifesaver when you don't want to rip out the tripod. Oh, I, I rarely shoot on a tripod. Oh, really? Like, yeah, I would probably put it at 95% or better of my shots are handheld. Nice. So um, wildlife macro, really landscapes. Uh, I do more long exposure, especially working around waterfalls. So those I will put on a tripod, but that's, I have to specifically be going out knowing I'm going to be working on a tripod. Otherwise it doesn't even go into the field with me. No. And I've, I've <laughs> lugged one around and no matter whether it's carbon fiber, aluminum, gosh forbid that it's it's wood like the very old ones <laughs> i mean what what actually makes you keep it behind is it the weight factor or is it just being able to challenge yourself and figure out how you can get the shot without the tripod or do you think that flexes your creative muscle more for me it's more along the lines of i i don't know if i just have like photographer add but um i just move around so much i feel like the tripod i always end up taking my camera off the tripod anyways um in snowy conditions i'll use the tripod just to kind of set my camera there in between shooting if i'm waiting for cranes to come in or foxes to appear kind of thing so that my hands don't get cold um so i can put my hands in the pockets but um as soon as the animals are out it's off the tripod and i'm i'm moving around i i'm a very active shooter if you will for sure um, for that and, and I think that it's also shown you the ability to use movement to your benefit. And when you guys head on over to Elise's website, definitely check out some of her artistic projects. Um, there's one that stands out that was mentioned on a previous podcast where we can see the trees, the form of the trees, but then we see intentional movement. 
to kind of make it more artistic. And the reference behind that was, was it Monet that, that you were looking at? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, um, impressionistic painters. Um, but yeah, especially Monet, my mom absolutely loved it. And so I started, uh, I can't paint to save my life. So I tried to create something for her, um, with my camera and it led me down the path of doing impressionistic photography. And so that's been an ongoing collection and, and work that I've been working on. So if, if someone is stuck at home and they want to get more creative there, are you moving the camera left to right, up and down? Are you sh- dragging the shutter, doing a zoom mid exposure? Yes. <laughs> all, all the above? <laughs> all the above plus some. Um, yeah, it, it really is just playing with photography. Um, and I do it a lot also when in between shoots, you know, while waiting for animals or waiting for the sun to set, um, I it helps keep me from getting bored out in the field, if you will, um, and really kind of helps me create, come home with more images than, you know, you're sitting for a sunset, you may have a couple compositions right as the sun's setting, and that's kind of it. But this allows me not only those, but a whole different set of images too, that, you know, even if I'm at, say, the bridge at Zion for that great watchman's uh, uh, image that's so iconic. Okay, I get that one, but I also get a whole nother collection of images that maybe nobody else on that bridge gets. Um, so for me, it just helps kind of bring home a larger amount of keepers as well as more individualized and and artistic images that I love. No, and you can definitely see that in, in your photos on social media on the website that you're not only taking the shots that are, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, the magazine cover shots or the postcard shots, but you also take those shots that other people wouldn't see. And your ability to frame things is second to none. I mean, one photo that I looked at is one of my favorites, I believe was in Japan, where you had the blossoms from the tree and it's looking down a waterway and an opening there. Do you pre, yes. do you, do you visualize things or do you go off of feelings and then you're throwing a bunch of images out? What's your process? Um, so a lot of times I will... I do scouting via the internet quite a bit before going out in the field. But once I'm there, I let what conditions I have there tell me what I should. Um, And so it's a lot of, yes, I do the pre, I wouldn't say pre-visualization, but pre-planning for the locations I'm going to. But then when I get to the locations, it's a lot of footwork. And that might be the other reason I don't really use the tripod is because I am just moving around so constantly trying to find different things. Um, and I always, you know, that I, I sometimes feel like maybe I, I move around a bit too much um, because I always feel like, oh, well, if I take too long here, I'm missing something over there. And I just want to be everywhere at all times, it seems so. Um <laughs> well, I mean, when cloning becomes a real thing, you could be everywhere at once. Yeah, you know, maybe. <laughs> but then does it make that individualized and personalized or not? So then you get into that. So there we go. Um, we could have B-bender photography as yeah, well, too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so. Now, now that, and, and both of us have been talking about doing a lot of traveling, and as far as with the impact, just to switch back, and I hate how COVID is all over the news right now, what are your thoughts yeah. with, with things opening up? I, I know the U.S. is opening up. As you said, there's more places that we can go now if we were to do road trips. Um, Canada's closed. Europe's closed. What do you foresee is going to 
enable people to actually spread their wings when they want to. I, I think right now domestic tourism is going to be the way to go. Um, traveling here within the United States, um, but also even doing that, we need to be aware of our impact um, with everybody going to, because Yellowstone and Teton, Tetons opened up, everybody slam packing those areas, that's only going to make the virus worse in the, those areas. And especially these rural uh, gateway cities, a lot of times in, in towns, they don't necessarily have the resources to deal with um, large populations and large numbers of, of cases spiking. So really be aware of your travel and how it might impact the areas that you're visiting. As for international travel, I have my fingers crossed that it will open up next year, but I really am not even counting on being able to go to Japan next year in February because that's normally when I go and I just don't know if it's going to be available if we get another spike in COVID before we can get um, a vaccine. And that's already kind of in that that height of flu season as it is. So if we do get a, do get a spike and if vaccines aren't readily available, um, borders, I, I foresee borders being closed again this coming winter if if things kind of don't get better um, and if there isn't a vaccine available, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the stark reality of it right now. But in the interim, I, I did notice on your website that people can do one-on-one -on -one learning with you. Is that something that you're still open to if they're local or how would that look? Yeah, so um, not only I, I'm being very flexible. I mean, we all have to be at this point. Um, but one-on-one, -on -one, I do both virtual, um, lessons. So we can talk about whatever, whether you're planning a trip and you want, you know, suggestions on how to make it a photography adventure on your own. Um, if you are local to me, um, we can socially distance and still do field work. Um, but, uh, the one-on-one -on -one a lot is virtual. Um, and that opens up so many possibilities, whether you want to talk and work through macro, creative, um, planning trips, anything like that. I, I'm able to do that virtually. And then, like I said, locally, um, yeah, I'm in Monterey, California right now, but make, you know, travels lifted enough, I can get to Vegas as well and, and down into Arizona. So if you're local and you want to do something as well. Um, I can make those those arrangements too. And for those who are further away, just looking at your website, where would the first place that you would point someone to, A, find out more about an area? Like you said, you do your due diligence before you travel somewhere. Uh, I know that you've mentioned in the past that you do photo guides. And then secondly, um, any online digital offerings that you have for education just to help someone truly expand, someone who may have just picked up a, you know, entry level or even a mid-level DSLR or mirrorless camera just to get past the next step to realize that, hey, it's not going to work the same as my phone. I have to put a little bit more effort into it to get some better results. So everybody learns a bit differently. Um, and depending on what you are looking for, there's a multitude of things out there. So um, I know a lot of people like to learn off of YouTube. And so if you are just picking up a camera, I highly suggest looking at, at some YouTube videos. Um, if that's the way you learn, I personally learn more through reading 
So I go to, um, when I first started out, I went and looked up a lot on um, digital, digital photography school, um, among other websites. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, there's podcasts out there, master podcast, this podcast, um, that, um, will provide tips and tricks. And then also for those who are looking for places to travel to, I have, um, articles and field guides on places I've been to on my website. They're free, easy to access. Um, and then I put out newsletters every month. Um, and you can sign up for the newsletter too at abenderphotography.com and you can pull up the whole archive. I've been doing it for years. So you can pull up the whole archive and search and see. And if you see images from somewhere on my website and you're more curious about it, then you're more than welcome to drop me a line as well. Um, I love just talking and teaching and interacting with people, even if it is virtually at this point. Exactly. And, and just being able to share your creative vision, I think, is a gift to anyone who has the ability and the courage to reach out to you. So uh, where can people find you outside of the website? Are you on Facebook? Are you on Instagram? I am on Facebook and Instagram. I'm more active on Instagram. Uh, Instagram, my handle is going to be at a bender photo. Okay. Um, and then the same goes on Facebook. You can find me at a bender photo um, or search for a bender photography. Uh, and I do post links to the newsletters um, as I put them out there, normally several days after my my readers actually get them, but you can access it through Facebook as well. And I can assure you all that she is very friendly, very nice. As long as you treat her with respect and smile and have a good approach <laughs> to life, she will pay it forward tenfold. So I really want to thank um, thank you, Elise, for coming on the show today. And thank you so very much for having me. No, it's been a sincere pleasure to have an old friend on here, and I hope that once we get past all this and you're back to teaching workshops, you're back in Japan and you have that energy, maybe I can join you over there and we can talk yes, more about that experience. that would be awesome. That would be really awesome. And be looking forward. I'm also looking at putting together something in the Faroe Islands as well. Ooh, that's a good spot as well. And I've heard yeah. some adventures over there. If you would like to hear um, about Lisa's adventure, please check out the Latitude podcast. There's an episode back in November of 2018. She was a great guest on there. Gives a lot of insight. And every time you have a chance to hear you and talk to you, it's always beneficial to me. So this is the Beard Winner signing out with Elise Bender. And thank you so much for tuning in. Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. It was truly a pleasure to not only interview an old friend, but someone who I hold in high regard because she has pushed through any barrier that has come her way. She is dedicated to creating, leaving people in a better place than where she found them, and expressing herself, as well as teaching the knowledge that she has acquired over the years. So please feel free to reach out to her via her website, social media, any of the places that she plugged. If you're trying to grow out your beard or you know someone who's trying to grow out their beard, please check out Bossman Brands and you can use offer code BEARDWIN to save 15% off your first purchase. That is offer code BEARDWIN. They're not a sponsor of the podcast at this time. They're just a brand that I love, use every single day, and I honestly think that my beard would not be nearly as cool and soft if I was using any other product. If you'd like to keep in touch with me, please feel free to visit the website beardwinner.com. Check us out on Facebook, forward slash beardwinner, or Instagram, thebeardwinner, and we should be updating posts more often to keep you in the loop, get a look of the behind the scenes of what it takes to create a podcast, and what goes into it. I'm going to stay transparent with you guys from day one because I want to let you know what goes into it. There's going to be pitfalls. There's going to be mistakes that I make. I'm human, just like all of you. And I sincerely appreciate your support. 
If you can, drop us a, a review and a like on Apple Podcast or shoot me an email. I really just want your feedback and I want this to become a true community. All right, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Cheers.